Hey, my name is Parker Middleton, and welcome to Starting to See, a podcast where we open up and explore our beliefs, experiences, and influences. This show is about delving deeper and fostering curiosity, all while in the safety of like-minded seekers. Here, we're unafraid to ask why, and we don't shame those who do. Through both solo episodes and conscious conversations with insightful guests, I'm inviting you and myself to start to see that there is still so much to learn. Together, we'll embark on an exploration of our individual and collective histories, feeling along the edges of what we've been told, what we know, and where they intertwine. <laughs> so I, um, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast um, because whenever I think about um, Christians or gay Christians, you're like the first person I think about. Um, and I feel like since we met, actually, let me back up. Let me talk about how we met. So um, yeah. yeah, so Johanna and I met at a Christian camp we, I was 16. I think maybe you were 16 or 17 uh, at the time. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we were there for about eight or nine weeks all that summer. And we stayed connected ever since. We had like a, a, a period of time where we uh, you know, didn't really talk or didn't catch up. And then um, we just reconvened uh, here in the past, I guess, like year or so. Um, and so, yeah, here we are. And we started talking about podcasts and uh, you want to have a podcast someday soon. And um yeah, so I want to be like you when I grow yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, and so for one of the questions or one of the topics that I wanted to talk about today was uh, queer Christianity uh, mm-hmm. and things that I'm starting to see. Uh, for me personally, I feel like I I grew up um, Christian, Baptist upbringing, Catholic upbringing on both, you know, more on each side, uh, did all the things, the mission trips, the, the, the summer camp. And something that I'm starting to see is maybe I'm not Christian anymore, even though I love Jesus and God and like, you know, I feel like I still have that love for those, I guess, religious figures, but I don't really know if I identify as Christian anymore. And what does that even mean? So I'm starting to see that, I don't know, I, I don't really have a name for it, um, but mm. I feel like you still carry the label Christian and we'll get into that uh, if you do or don't and the, how that journey has been for you, especially come after coming out uh, as gay. So um and it's kind of like a really long intro, but wanted to give it to you. How do you identify right now? Is you Christian or not, or a certain denomination? It's kind of a difficult question. <laughs> yeah, you didn't tell me that was coming. That's such a big question. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I want to preface is for anybody listening that just happens to listen to this, the whole name of the podcast is starting to see it's built so that people can evolve on issues. And so something that we say today doesn't mean that we have to um, defend it tomorrow. Uh, we could totally be different and have the space be like, you know what, yesterday I was feeling this, today I'm feeling that. Uh, so I don't want to put pressure on you, Johanna, to feel like you've got to be like, you know, I've got to defend whatever I say mm-hmm. today. Yeah. No, I guess I want to start by saying I don't think how you identify matters. Mm. Um, when I was, I'm going to use Christian as a past tense now, but when yeah. I was Christian, it was really important to people that you call yourself a Christian Mm -hmm. because if you didn't, they would quote that Bible verse. um, You know, if you deny me in front of men, then I'm going to deny you in front of my heavenly father. Mm -hmm. And what it meant to deny Jesus was, you know, in our subculture, it's like, if there was a gun to your head and they asked if you're a Christian, (laughs) would you say yes? And you're like, yes, you're you're like, what, 14, you're trying your youth group floor. And like, I would. It's like, first of all, you have no idea what you would do. You'd probably panic. Yeah. Um, but that's what it boiled down to is, do you say yes to this title? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that title matters at all. Yeah. Um, 
first of all, that title wasn't even around when Jesus lived. So Jesus didn't come up with the name Christian and he didn't tell you to call yourself a Christian. And when he said that, if you deny me in front of my, uh, in front of people, I'll deny you in front of my father, that name didn't exist. And so, you know, how can it be so important that we call ourselves a Christian when Jesus, A, didn't identify as a Christian because they didn't exist yet, uh, and B, never said, adopt this title. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You know, so first of all, I'm just going to take off the importance of adapting yourself to a certain word. Um, In Acts, it actually says that they were first called Christians in Antioch. Um, So initially, they were called followers of the way, right? These people that followed Jesus, they said they're following the way. That probably came from Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then later, when people were identifying this group of people, they called them Christians, which meant little Christ. And it was actually a mockery because their Christ was just brutally murdered. And so they're basically saying, oh, you're just like him. You're just like your little Christ. Like it was a threat and an insult, not a compliment. The name stuck. And then the, the, the followers of Jesus who became the followers of the way then started calling themselves Christians. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Well, that's the background. And I think when you understand history, the name becomes less important. Okay. I think what's more important um, is if you share the same spirit that Jesus shared And that spirit leads your life. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's important. And so I do identify with the title Christian. And I also don't. I do because when I think of Jesus, I think of my leader. And I think of the spirit of Jesus being the spirit that convicts me when I am wrong. It is the spirit that leads me into generosity when I'm selfish. It is the spirit that offers me grace and mercy and redemption when I feel shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. And it is a spirit that I feel has been my friend since childhood. I also don't identify as a Christian because when you say I'm a Christian, there's a lot of connotations that come with that. Immediately people think, oh, okay, so you believe the Bible is inherent. Uh, you're anti-gay. Yeah. Uh, you're a Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, you attend church every Sunday. You believe in tithing 10% of your income. Like all of these connotations come. Wow. And I am not many of those things. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so when people ask me that question, I feel frustrated because I know that they don't want a seven minute explanation. <laughs> I guess or no. But if I was to say yes, people would assume that I am something that I am not. I thought that was like a beautiful explanation of like the the choice to use an identity or not. Because if you do, what does that mean? Um, and if you don't, what does that mean? Um, and I feel like especially coming out, I feel like in being gay, but still being on the Jesus train, you know, it's like I can still identify with those people, uh, but I don't have to identify with the group because then that suddenly means so many things about me that may not be true. Well, one, I think people care a lot more about labels than God does. Mm. You know, people like labels because it puts you in groups and they want to know if you're in, in or out of their group, you know, yeah. us against them. Are you with us or are you with them? And I just don't think that that's how God thinks. And I also yeah. don't think that that's the requirement for God. I don't think that God is disappointed in me because 
I'm choosing to not use a label that's been associated with genocide and murder and oppression and voting a certain way. You know, like yeah. if I was God, I'd be like, yeah, I ditched that label too. <laughs> um, and also, I think it's the easy way out. I think if I was to call myself a Christian, now I'm accountable, right? Now I'm accountable for all the things the church has done. I'm accountable for the harm. It's a lot easier to say, oh my gosh, no, I'm not, I'm not one of them. I'm my mm -hmm. own thing. Because if you want to hold on to that label, now you're responsible for that group in a sense. Yeah. Um, and so I think you see a lot of people exiting because they don't want to be responsible for the group, which somebody has to be responsible for it, right? Yeah. So I wouldn't say it's a good or bad thing to use the label. I'd say maybe sometimes it's a bit cowardly actually to opt out. Wow. Okay. Do you mind expanding on that, the cowardly part? Well... If you say, yeah, I'm a part of that group, then what are you going to do about all the kids being sexually abused? How the, what was it? The Southern Baptist Church has a list of 700 sexual predators that they've protected for years. Rabbi Zacharias, you know, one of the lead Christian apologetic uh, apologists has been, um, you know, he, he passed away and then they found out that he's been raping women all across the world. Um, what are you going to do about all the Christian boarding schools that murdered uh, indigenous children, right? It's like there is, there is a systemic and generational and historical um, wrong to be righted. Is that the correct word for that? <laughs> and that's a lot of responsibility and work. Uh, and I think somebody should do it. I think somebody should say, I am a Christian these things belong to my heritage and um, this is how we're going to do it differently. And this is how we're going to mend that wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to be that person. <laughs> and, <laughs> I know. And, and so that's why I'd say it's kind of the easier path out to yeah. say, no, I'm not, I'm not with that group. Right. Yeah. So I admire whoever holds on to that label. Yeah. And so let's rectify this because that's not me. Yeah. That's tough. I, <clears throat> Do you feel like, so obviously you probably haven't had this, this point of view forever. Do you mind walking me through, um, you coming to this idea of maybe I'm not Christian, um, but I still identify with Jesus and God or the Abrahamic God mm -hmm. and how that, I guess, crosses with you coming out if, if, if at all. Yeah. I mean, that's a long story. I, I was born into this faith. And then I was homeschooled into it, which mm -hmm. anyone in the homeschool Christian community knows, you know, a lot of times you're homeschooled so that they can raise you up as a good Christian. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the primary motivators for homeschooling your kids is to make sure that they don't go to public school and believe in evolution and they're not learning yeah. about Greek mythology and they're not sitting through the sex ed courses, you know, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was born into it. I was homeschooled into it. Um, I remember getting money when I would memorize a Bible verse. Um, yeah. So my mom didn't give me an allowance, but I would get, I think, $3 for every book I finished. And I would get maybe $1 when I memorized the Bible verse of the week, okay. um, which personally I think is a great way to, to give your kids money is like to incentivize education. Yeah. But point being is from the time I was very young, this faith dominated every aspect of life. And... When I was like 14 to 16, I definitely started realizing I was gay, but I wouldn't have 
I wouldn't have used those words because mm. it was just so unacceptable in that community. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just. No, I totally, I get it. I'm like, I was, I feel like I was the only gay person uh, in my, in the, like the very religious mm-hmm. church going crowd. Uh, so it would have been social suicide to to say, oh yeah, I'm gay. And, um, and well, yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? It's a, that's an understatement. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and so, um, and it felt like actually, interestingly, my parents have always, or I guess my family has always known that I was gay. They, mm-hmm. they told me this recently. Um, but they thought that, and it was so weird. So with my, I guess, religiosity growing up, it wasn't because of them. It was because of the environments that they put me in. Uh, so first being like private schools, they wanted me because my dad went to Catholic school. So he wanted me to go to private school. Uh, and so then all my friends were very religious or had gone to these, you know, mega churches or really emphatic ecclesiastical uh, small churches. And mm-hmm. so because of those environments, I felt like I had to, to be the, the Jesus guy. And, um, and so, yeah, it would have been impossible to come out. Um, and my parents thought, oh, well, because he's so emphatic about being Christian or Catholic, um, that means he's actually pushing that away, that he, he doesn't want to be gay. <laughs> I know. Um, I feel like, honestly, though, that's probably a reason that many priests do go oh. into the priesthood. Uh, in fact, actually, one of my priests uh, was gay um, and uh, it was a big scandal in our area. Um, th- there was multiple layers to why it was a scandal, not just the fact that he was gay, but there was a lot of like money embezzlement um, mm-hmm. going on. But and that's how it came out that he was gay because it was going for some gay things. Um, it was it was quite the scandal. So, um, yeah, no, it, it would have been being Christian, I guess, in my family was a kind of a rejection of being gay. Um, and even though everybody kind of knew, uh, but because I had never actually come out, people were thinking I was rejecting it. So it's so interesting. Um, so tell me about you coming out. Um, you came out uh, or you came to, I guess, realize around 14 to 16, you said, and yeah. then how that interplayed with, um, cause didn't you go to seminary for a little bit? <laughs> sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, well, your previous question of, you know, how did you kind of decide to cling to this faith. I'll, yeah. I'll tie that into this answer too. Um, but yeah, I mean, around 14 to 16, I was dropped off at this new youth group and I saw the worship leader and immediately it was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. she's so pretty. And I think all girls have that feeling, you know, like, oh, that girl's so pretty. Uh, but then I came home and like masturbated to the thought of her and I was like, okay, <laughs> pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's not normal. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my first thought was like, oh no, this is that's not amazing. good. Uh-huh. And, uh, I had a crush on her for so long. Um, if you're out there yeah. listening, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh yeah. If you're out there listening, it's not too late. I'm single. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, um, but at that same time, I was wondering the, about the validity of Christianity. So mm-hmm. I knew I was raised into it, but I was reading verses, like I was reading stories of people dying for Jesus. And if you look at the yeah. American church, that is not what you're seeing. Yeah. And so I was looking at this church culture where we wear our nice little dresses and, and we go sing our little songs and we go give our little monies and, you know, all these things. And, and we call ourselves Christian. Yeah. When I looked in the Bible People are being stoned to death. People are in poverty. Like they gave up everything to follow Jesus, but they're like, it's worth it, you know, mm-hmm. for the 
infinite value of having Christ Jesus as my Lord. And so I was not seeing in church culture what I was seeing in the Bible. And I started asking questions like, is this real? Because if it is, it deserves a lot more than what I'm seeing from my church culture. And if it's not, it doesn't deserve another Sunday and it doesn't deserve 10% of your income and it doesn't deserve any of this. And so I started really, I don't know, it started plaguing my mind and I'm not the kind of person that can be middle ground or I don't know, comfortable with that uncertainty. I'm the Mm -hmm. kind of person that needs to know. And so it started this high school pursuit where I would stay up so late, like, excuse me, like praying and, and just pursuing truth. And one of those nights, oh, and through this, I was pulled into all these youth conferences where Um, people are like speaking in tongues and running around and they're pulling out flags. And if you're not familiar with like this Pentecostal charismatic church culture, you know, it's, it's, it, it's honestly, it's so fake. Um, you know, people are jumping up and down. Teenagers are crying Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm in the room and I'm not feeling what you feel. And I'm starting to think you're just putting on a show so that everyone thinks you're just so close to God, you know, they would put us in a line. And they're like, tonight, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're going to speak in tongues. And they would start laying their hands on kid by kid. And each kid would start speaking in tongues. But like in the Bible, tongues is them speaking in another language. None of that is happening. They're just saying gibberish and calling Uh it the gift of God. And I just don't want to be fake. And so I was panicking and I went and hid in the bathroom. I'm just like, I'm not going to fake it. And I also don't want to be here with a bunch of people who are faking it. And so I was pursuing God, but also just having this really adverse reaction to church culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember this is the night that changed my life. I was alone in my bedroom. I was maybe 16 and I just prayed the most earnest prayers. Just, you know, if you're real, I don't remember the exact words, but I felt in that moment, the presence of the Holy Spirit fill the room. Wow. And I have never been the same. I felt like I was alive for the first time. Mm -hmm. I felt like I saw color for the first time. I felt like I was born for a reason. I felt joyful and at peace, but more importantly, I was filled with this boldness Mm -hmm. that I had never had in my life. I was a shy homeschooled kid. And all of a sudden I was unafraid. I was bold. I was outspoken. I was opinionated. I was so different that even my mom asked me, what happened to you? Like, okay. you were not who you were. My own mm-hmm. mom and, and many other people noticed a drastic change. And I can genuinely point to the fact that I met divinity in my room and I fell in love with it. And so yeah. although I was born into Christianity, I from that moment on, I took it on as my own. And I did go to ministry school. Um, I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to tell you know the whole world. Mm-hmm. I worship songs that, you know, churches in Virginia would sing. I helped uh, plant a house church. I brought 53 people to youth group. Um, I started a a Bible study for international students at college. I mean, I was, this was what I did, you know? Yeah. And then through all of that time, I was also gay. And I kept thinking, I'll deal with this later. Like God will deliver me. And so when I was in high school, 
I remember lusting after my friends and leaving when they would change the room. And if yeah. they wanted to settle, my like heart rate would go up. <laughs> and then I tried to kiss um, <laughs> a nameless individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I really like, I went for it and uh, it did not work out. And, and, um, and I was just, I was fighting this urge because I'm like, well, God will deliver me. Like, I won't yeah. be like this forever. It's just a phase. So fast forward you know, I'm in college, I'm still struggling, but I kept thinking like, well, I'm, I'm in college, I should focus on school, I'll, I'll think about this later. And I always said, I'll deal with this later. And then one day I was an adult, I was working at Adobe, I had a 401k, I was investing in stocks, I was selling software to the government. I mean, I was an adult by all standards, and I realized it is later. Yeah. And I'm still gay, and it's yeah. never changed. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of my crisis, because when you're in that position, you have three options. Either one, you completely ignore the fact that you are gay and you marry a good church boy. Mm-hmm. Number two, you stay celibate forever, Yeah, which is why I think the majority of priests and nuns, uh, maybe that's a bold statement, but no, definitely the majority are probably queer because they're God-loving people who've been told that they cannot be gay. So you mm-hmm. either fake marriage or you're celibate, right? Yeah. Uh, or three, I choose to be gay and I go to hell. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that started a, a really, really intense downward spiral for me yeah. that eventually ended up in an upward spiral. Wow. I love that. I feel like there's so many things that you mentioned there that, are, that I want to unpack. A couple of things you, you pulled out were extremism in the Protestant church. I feel like People who are not in it don't understand. But I mean, like you said, we were reading books about martyrdom and, you know, like you said, gun to the head and um, how it's life or death. And you like and I feel like that is um, the creating the creation of an extremist society. Um, And it's and it's it's fed to children. Um, I don't really see adults being fed that type of information on the regular because they wouldn't fall for it. Yeah, totally. In college, they taught us that. 85% 85% of Christians become Christian before they're 15. Oh, wow. And I remember, yeah. And I remember thinking, then that means that's a product of brainwashing, mm. not the power of God. Yeah, if it's right. God, wouldn't it be even across all age groups? But if it's yeah. brainwashing, of course you're going for children. Yeah. And fear-based. Because yeah. like you said, you know, I, the third option, I could be gay and then go to hell. Um, and a little heresy that <laughs> I'd like to, I chose. Yeah. <laughs> and a little heresy that I'd like to out myself for is um, this is kind of based off of something I saw on the Tim Ferriss podcast where he has some people come on and, and kind of admit a heresy for their their mm. you know, sector of expertise. Um, and I guess for regarding religion or Christianity, I would say that I don't believe hell is a real place, which is I guess pretty freaky for other people who are very religious or Christian to hear. I feel like we all chose to inhabit these bodies um, and that it's a gift and that we come again and again. And I feel like, especially I, I got this feeling um, after doing mushrooms one time and I was sitting crying and just like so overwhelmed um, with so many emotions. And I felt like I had met Bryce many times before and that mm-hmm. whenever I had found him this time in this life, that it was meant to be in destined and that um it had always been him. Um, like he had always been my partner. And mm-hmm. so I guess through time I started thinking, I just feel like, would I be Christian if hell weren't a thing? 
And the answer was no uh, for like a long time. And because there's no fear, like what's the point? Um, But now I feel like, like you said, kind of deconstructing the identity of Christian and that that thing that comes afterwards that wasn't even spoken about um, when Jesus was alive to actually Jesus himself and what he represents. I feel like those are two completely different things. Uh, and so I feel like I'm trying, I'm starting to see I can hold maybe Jesus in one hand and, and no hell in the other because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's all just love. And like, I don't feel like hell is, I feel like that's more of just a, something that the church, the Christian church has invented. Um, I don't know too much about Judaism, but I remember listening to some stories about how Judaism doesn't have a specific hell. Um, it's more of like, um, like a waiting place or like an intermediary place. And that's where Catholic Catholicism gets uh, purgatory, the idea of purgatory and more like old Testament ideas, but I'm not too uh, educated on that piece. But anyway, um, going back to what you said about having that aha moment of divinity, it wasn't in an extreme place. It was in a very intimate place, which I feel like is more aligned with what you would see in the Bible. Anyway, Uh, I'm thinking about like Jesus, uh, I mean, Joseph, uh, having the dream of like, you know, you need to stay with Mary. Uh, and it's like, it's not in like a- exactly at a youth conference. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The music was blaring. Right. I'm just like, you know, no. Um, and so was this place whenever you, was this in Wisconsin? You had mentioned something before uh, on another call that we had about. Yeah. So no, Wisconsin was, all right. So I mentioned you know, I, I got to this place where I'm still very Christian, but also having this crisis because I'm realizing God's not going to deliver me. I'm still yeah. gay. Um, there's a lot that could be said about that. Um, I went into a really, really serious period of depression. Mm. Um, I would just cry myself to sleep every night because I really was thinking about, you know, the cost of following Jesus or what I was told it was. And Uh, At first I was like, all right, I guess I'll be celibate forever and ever. And people who say like, oh, just be celibate. It's not just sex. It's companionship. It's partnership. And even in the very beginning of the Bible, it starts by saying it is not good for man to be alone. And so God brings Eve to Adam. Right. Mm -hmm. And now all these Christians are saying, oh, but it's okay for you to be alone. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They would never bear something that they would never do. The church idolizes marriage to the point where it's like, you know, get saved, get married. This is God's will for you. And then the second you want to get married, a gay person, now it's, oh, you're fine being single. Who told Mm -hmm. you marriage was great anyway, right? That's a good point. um, But yeah, I was just, man, I was crying and not little tears. I mean, I was deeply depressed because I wasn't just thinking about being alone for life. Um, you know, I was considering all these options. Do I lose my faith? Do I lose all the communities I have ever been a part of? I mean, I wasn't, I didn't go to public school. I didn't go to normal college. Everyone I have ever known is marked by, you know, Christian culture and yeah. they would abandon me. Right? right. It's like, and they have, and they did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, from my childhood friends to my youth group friends, to my college friends, my ministry school, to, you know, when I became a missionary, to fill in the blank. I mean, yeah. every single friend I had was on the bedrock of Christianity. And so if I walked away, I was walking away from a lifetime of community. And mm-hmm. I was I was respected in that community. So now I'm walking away from my status and I'm walking away from 
you know, career options I've built. Like churches wanted me to come work for them and be yeah. their missionary director, right? And so it feels like you worked so hard for all these years just to burn your resume and throw it away, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, and you're losing, you know, the God that you've come to love and all these things. And and so in that season, I actually, I got books from all perspectives. So I got books from Jackie Hill Perry, who's like the famous ex-lesbian and her mm. whole take. Um, you know, basically be single, be, be celibate for Jesus if that's what it takes. Um, don't be gay no more, you know, yeah. like, very like, um, she's cool. She's a good poet. She's a good songwriter. She's all these things. Um, she seems like she'd be a fun neighbor, you know, like I'd probably like her as a person. Yeah. Um, her rhetoric ruined my life. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> okay. with that as you, right. Then I was reading books like, um, by Alan Chambers, who used to lead the biggest ex-gay movement in America called Exodus. Yeah. Uh, so ex-gay meaning you're gay. We're going to make you straight, you know, using the power of Jesus. And then you're going to be happily married ever after. Uh, so he led that movement. People would go to Exodus and study there and do all this conversion therapy and prayer. Fast forward, he shut it down. Yeah. He, he essentially said, this doesn't work. And he apologized to all the people he'd harmed. And I read his book and he essentially came to the conclusion that um, this whole ex-gay be celibate for Jesus is just deeply unloving. And he can't believe that God would have his like stamp of approval on it. And so I'm reading these books from both perspectives and I am just torn apart. I'm like, do I listen to Jackie? Do I listen to Alan? Um, do I listen to my pastor? Do I listen to myself? And I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And, um, and I started telling people in my Christian community that I was quote unquote struggling with same sex attraction, because that's the word choice you use. You can't yeah. say I'm gay mm -hmm. because they like, don't make gay your identity. Now you're identifying with sin. You say, I'm a Christian. That's mm -hmm. my identity. I struggle with same sex attraction. And, uh, and so I started confiding in people. I'm like, I am struggling and I am depressed and I want to die. Like yeah. I, I think about running my car into a tree multiple times a day. Like I, I am holding on by a thread mm -hmm. and they, um, and they just kind of go zoom over that. I'm sure, you know, that doesn't even underline in their they brain. They not care. No. <laughs> like my, like very good friends of mine. Um, I mean, they cared, but not really. Like they yeah. would rather see me die by suicide than be gay. Yeah. That's what hundred percent, you yeah. know? And, uh, and they were like, keep fighting the good fight. You know, I have texts on my phone still from people who are like, you need to summon, you know, all your energy and fight this thing. And my roommate at the time, we're not friends anymore. Uh, she like sat me down in a chair and she's like praying that the demon of homosexuality will leave me and I'm crying. And like, mm -hmm. I, I'm like, I cannot believe I let this abuse happen. But when you're in that culture, it's like, yes, take the demon of homosexuality away from me so that I can be holy. Like, please. Right. It's almost like you view them as a good friend for like battling with you. And in hindsight, I'm like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like yeah. you are such a weird person. I cannot believe I let you like lay hands on me repeatedly, you know, just yeah. what the hell is wrong with me, but I didn't know better. And I was like crying and, and all these things. And, and, um, I, I just can't explain how dark that period was. And, I, um, it was my birthday and one of my very best friends, he's the most remarkable man. I adore him. And he essentially said, I want to marry you. And that was the final straw for me. Yeah, Everything in me just knew I could not marry this person. 
And I told him no. And then I went to a lesbian bar for the first time in my life the very wow. next day. Yeah. And um, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And for so many more reasons. I mean, the list goes on. But essentially, I was over it. Uh, I was over wanting to kill myself. I was over the depression. I was over being told that you know, God will get more glory from you. Just like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. It's like the moment your theology feels like the right thing to say, but when someone is like looking at a razor blade, just yeah. being like, man, that would feel good across my arm. Like, mm-hmm. you know what they don't want to hear? Your stupid theology telling them that God created them gay so that he could get more glory from you. It's like, this is so cruel. It's cruel. Like, that's the best word I could use. It's like, I was hating every day of my life and you didn't care. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to believe that the God who created me wants me to hate my existence. Yeah. Life is supposed to be a gift and the life I was living was hell, you know? And right. so people people were telling me that like, I'm going to go to hell and I'm like, I'm in hell. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so essentially I... I think I started having a breakdown, like a serious breakdown. And I packed up all my stuff in my little Honda and I started road tripping West. I needed to leave. I needed to leave all my friends, all the churches, everyone who knew me. I just wanted to exist away from all of this. And I started driving West and I was road tripping for maybe six months while working from my laptop. And I met all of these people. I met gay people. I met trans people. I met uh, people who gave me like tarot readings and like read my poems. Mm -hmm. I met, I mean, just everyone that was supposed to be this demonic, you know, witchy force. And they were so full of love and they were so exactly what I needed in that moment. And I saw Jesus in all of them. And I felt like God was loving me through these people. And I was on a major downward spiral because I was so sad about how much I had lost. Um, I lost a lot of friends during that time. And it just felt like one after the other, just like a knife in the back after a knife in the back. And so it was during this downward spiral that I was driving through Wyoming and my car tire popped. And this was during COVID and middle of Wyoming. And they basically said, Hey, everything's on back order. It's going to be like one to two weeks before we can fix your car. And so I'm stuck in this shitty hotel in the middle of nowhere. And I have nothing to do but be alone in my room because it's Mm -hmm. like 11 degrees outside. And so um, uh, I I had a lot of time to just be alone with my thoughts, which was not good for me. And I started screaming and crying. And I was it, it was like all the fury and all the hurt in me just started coming out and I was yelling into this abyss and I just started yelling at God. And I was like, if you really loved me, you would be okay with me leaving a religion that has done nothing but harm me for years. Mm -hmm. And if you're really the God of all mankind, then I should be able to find you. I should be able to find you outside of this religion. And in that moment, I felt the same thing I felt when I was 16. I felt the presence of what I would call the Holy Spirit fall in that hotel room in such power that it felt like the same God that led me into Christianity was now leading me out. It felt like that presence was meeting me and saying, yes, I do care more about you than what religion you're involved with. And yes, you can find me anywhere. And yes, you can leave. And maybe I'm reading into that. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe none of this is real, but it was real enough for me that in that moment, 
again, my whole life changed. Like I had these two very powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit. And one of them led me deep, deep, deep into Christianity. And the next one led me out. And from that moment on, I put down the Bible um, because I used to love the Bible. I had memorized chapters. Um, I read it every day for, I don't know, 14 years, you know, or more. Um, wow. I mean, I knew the Bible. Anyone who knew me in college knew I knew it like the back of my hand. Yeah. Like I could book, you know, verse reference. Um, I, I, I was a lover of the Bible. And then the Bible started feeling like stones being thrown at me instead of a love story because now I'm an outsider and now the Bible is condemning me. And so after this experience with God, I put the Bible away deliberately for almost two years. I didn't even open it. And, um, and I stopped going to church and I stopped listening to a lot of worship music. Uh, and I, I stopped listening to sermons and I stopped being friends with a lot of people. And I had people reach out to me just saying like, hey, girl, would love to catch up. And I would just tell them like, hey, if this is about me being gay, if you're trying to bring me back to the faith, I'd rather not. <laughs> And, and I started setting boundaries and I felt so empowered because in that moment I knew God is okay with me. And that means that I'm okay with me. And because I accept me, you cannot reject me. And because like I am good with God, I don't care if I'm not good with you. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I was afraid of losing my friends, but I can actually live through that. I was afraid of losing my community. I can live through that. I was afraid of losing my status. I can live through that. The one thing that I really felt like I couldn't live through was lo losing the presence that has guided me since childhood. Yeah. And when I realized that I didn't have to lose that presence, I could lose everything else. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, boom, mic drop. There it is. That's insane. I, um, I'm, I'm processing what you said. I feel like there are so many aspects about you just being so magnetic in that moment of, of the boundaries, saying no, realizing really what's important to you and, and stepping through that fear. Um, that takes a lot of guts, honestly, because I um, I know how hard it is to like walk away from uh, your community. And if that's especially all you know and what you've been up, uh, brought up in being homeschooled, um, that's pretty <laughs> And it's also been pretty recent. I mean, you said that was starting during COVID. And I remember you posting on Instagram yeah. like screenshots of, you know, their names blurred out, but think people, how they were treating you and, and, and just basically accosting you all the time, trying to all give you back. Um, and then also layered into that is the misogyny piece. We haven't really gotten into that, but I remember, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of people saying you're going to be the next female Billy Graham, but also telling you to shut up and quit talking, <laughs> you know, it's like, what is that? And then the, the blatant disrespect of, of your mental health, I think, really is um the worst piece for me because i can totally understand the fear of thinking i'm gonna go to hell if i just love someone which just seems so antithetical to like you said exactly what god is um and so yeah i i'm it's insane i've loved your story and i feel like this is why i brought you on the podcast because i feel like you have such an amazing story there's a lot of tragic moments that you shared um but I want to kind of see that the flip side. I know, obviously, you're still working through your, your story. It's not like it's a, a clean cut, you know, this well, is a story book. happy ending. So right. Yeah, happy. exactly. But I'd love to hear, <laughs> like, how... on a good note. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it doesn't have to be a good note. I guess just kind of like, where are you now? You know, I remember yeah. when you kind of have talked about the pivoting moment being really around COVID. And I feel like that's really what started our relationship was up is, again, is you sharing your story, which I feel like is really powerful. And we know being in, in the Christian upbringing, like this, the power of a testimony, religious or not, is 
is pretty impactful. And that's why I love podcasts too. And so kind of bring us up to speed with the, with the present. Yeah. And for those who aren't Christian, the testimony is like, tell us your story, right? Yeah. Like how what got you here. And, um, and that is powerful because speaking with your actual voice is powerful. Yeah. Um, it is like a sound of freedom. You know, I think of speaking like the Statue of Liberty. It just stands there boldly and it's a symbol of freedom and saying like, come to me, you know, like you're going to make it. It's of hope or that's what it's supposed to be yeah. and has been historically. And I think when you stand there and you share your story, it's the same thing. It's like the symbol of of freedom and hope for those who are not yet where you are. Um, yeah, I did post uh, the way people were treating me on Instagram. I was blurring their names because I have no interest in public shaming. Yeah. But what I did have an interest in was publicly combating manipulation and fear tactics. Uh, and it was really powerful for two reasons. One, people who did not come from my upbringing were so shocked it kind of validated me. They would, they would just be like, this is culty. I'm like, yeah, right. It is. Yeah. Right. And it would, it would make me feel like, okay, I was right to leave. I was right to leave. I was right to leave. Cause yeah. there are moments where it feels like you're making this horrible mistake. And then two, it brought so many people to me who were in the same boat. And so when I started being public on Instagram, say about being gay, uh, which was very scary for me, um, a lot of gay alumni from my ministry school, where by the way, if you were gay, you would have been kicked out immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, unless you just were like, no, 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 I'm just struggling with same-sex attraction, <laughs> you know, but like, you'd probably be gone too. But all these alumni started DMing me and they're like, oh my God, I'm gay too. I, I didn't know there were others as if you're the only gay person that's ever been Christian. And eventually there were, there were so many of them that I, I would ask them, I was like, hey, are, do you want to be put into a group chat with all the other gay alumni? You know, like, are you okay with other people knowing about you? Because some people were still on staff at churches as like oh. kids pastors. And if people found out, they would lose everything and they weren't far enough along. And almost everyone said yes. And so we had this group text and we did video calls and um, it was so empowering. It was so beautiful to gather all these little people together and to just be like, man, you're not alone. Um, and I still find a lot of joy in that. I run into mm -hmm. a lot of people who are going through the mental crisis that is leaving evangelicalism. And it is really um, wonderful to be able to say you're not alone and there's hope. So I guess where I'm at now is, um, you know, after that moment with God in Wyoming, I really did start getting better, um, which was good. I was actually dating somebody before that. And I, I was having a mental breakdown. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know what the official line is, but I mean, she saw it front and center. And I think she would agree with that. I was so unwell. I was a shell of a human being. And after that experience, I just started getting better and better. And I felt more and more power. Um, and so it started really with putting people in their place. Yeah. Um, and I, I genuinely, I was never mean. I was just firm. Totally. Um, you know, so people would try to convince me and tell me I'm going to hell. And I would just be like, Hey, I'm going to block you. If you continue with this, I would prefer not to, I value your friendship. I, you know, think that yeah. we've a great history here, but 
um, I want to live. And so for my own well-being, I will not be talking to you this way. Yeah. And many people don't respect that. So they're blocked, <laughs> you know, and then other people opted out on their own. Um, you know, my ex-roommate, I lived with her for a year. We were very close friends. She called me family. Uh, you know, like I, I was friends with her dad and her nieces. I mean, we were, we were close, you know, yeah. and um, her wedding was coming up and I actually paid for their engagement party. Uh, so it was like $800. Wow. There were like 20 people. And I, I knew that they were um, kind of struggling financially, saving for marriage, et cetera. And I just wanted to bless them. Yeah. And so I actually paid for it anonymously um, because I don't like, yeah. I think money and gifts can make friendships weird. And I would rather have a good friendship and also do something, but rather in secret, you know, but like, I mean, that, that just shows like how close we were. I mean, like, I just wanted to bless these people. I love them. They were like family. Um, and then the next step was them getting married. And it was also kind of the time where I was coming out being gay and, uh, I was not invited to the wedding. That, uh, that's in fact, yeah, I was, I was uninvited to the wedding and I, they never responded to me again. And I, I reached out so many times and I finally got a hold of this girl or this woman. And I was like, what is going on? Like we were family. How, right. how you know? And she said, I felt convicted to do so, you know, like, in other words, um, you know, the God of yes. Israel, heaven's armies personally told me to cut you out of my life because you're just this horrible, you know, influence. Right. And, um, and so just like that, you know, not, not even, not even a phone call. The only reason I got those words out of her is because I hounded her, you know, like they, right. they completely cut me out without saying anything. And so some people I cut out, other people cut me out in the moment. It hurt. But in hindsight, um, I got to a point where I realized everyone who's going to leave. Left. And that was super powerful because I realized there's no more hurt ahead of me. Like everyone who's going to leave has left and I'm now safe. Yeah. The people here are here. The people who are my friends have been friends through um, a lot of gossip. Like some people were still in the Christian faith. Uh, they're still working at churches. But they would say like, no, that's my friend and I'm not going to condemn her and I'm not going to not be her friend. And they lost friends because of it, you know, and wow. they stuck around. They chose me over them. And so I, it got to a point where my inner circle was people who would, you know, go to war for me. And that was lovely. And then the second part was really the, the mental detox of one, believing I'm going to hell, two, believing even if I make it to heaven, God is somehow upset with me. Um, three, that I'm somehow, you know, not in God's will for my life, i.e. forsaking the whole reason I was born, my purpose. Jeez. Um, and that was a much longer battle. Um, but I will say that typically what brings me out of that is actually praying and getting into that presence. And because when I'm in that presence, I don't feel guilt or shame. I just feel acceptance and love. And right. so- that tells me that all this condemnation is not coming from that source. And at the end of the day, that source is all I care about. I don't care about Christians saying she's in the club. I don't care about being invited to speak at churches. I don't care if people like my worship songs and want to sing them. I don't care if I get to write a Christian book and people buy it. Like you can have all of that. I just want God. And that is what's freeing is when you look at even your parents or you look at your church or you look at your community or you look at 
this body of people and you're not angry, you don't hate them, but it's genuinely like I can have it or leave it. Right. Um, that's what's powerful. And so I would say that's where I'm at now. Um, I, I love to be accepted by people. I love friends. <laughs> I, I love fitting Me too. in, but I don't need it. I've been through hell and back. I have been alone. And I mean like alone, alone. Yeah. And it has been okay. And so when you know that, when you know that like you plus God can withstand anything, you don't need anything. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I love my friends, but if they left me, I would make it. Right, <laughs> I right. love my job, but if I got fired, I would make it. And, um, and I think that's where I'm at now. It's not that I don't have relapsing moments where I'm like, I am good, right? Like, I'm not, <laughs> right? I'm not going to hell, right? Mm. <laughs> like, for sure have those moments where I'm like, I'm not like, I don't know, forsaking God's call on my life and going to end up in an everlasting tormenting flame pit, right? right. And then, yeah. oh, like crazy girl, that's crazy. I'm like, you're right, girl, it's crazy. It is crazy, right? <laughs> like, you know, of course I have those like PTSD moments. I'm in religious trauma therapy yeah. literally for that. Oh, really? So, wow, okay. Yeah. But what I would say is that used to be 5,000 times a day, then it was five times a day, then it was every five days, then it was every five months. You get mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm at the point now that if I ever have a moment of kind of that PTSD that comes from being told that you're um, on your way to an eternity of torture, um, if I ever do feel that, it's almost odd. It's like, yeah. oh, that's so weird. Why am I feeling this? Versus that being my everyday experience. So I would say day to day, um, I am at peace with myself. That's awesome. I'm so glad for you because I feel like you really have been put through the ringer and I feel like you've shown on Instagram that like a sliver of that. And I feel like it's really a testament to show like if anyone can get out, like if you can get out, anyone can get out because I feel like you've been, you were in it. Like you said, like you were, you had gone to uh, a seminary, you had been um, fully ingratiated in church culture, you know, in leadership positions Um fully in it you were and I feel like even when I knew you at at uh, the summer camp um, I was like she is such a good Christian she so knows so much about the Bible she's so well read um, <laughs> like people were saying she's gonna be the next female Billy Graham and I just feel like um, I love your story I feel like it's so encouraging and so I guess to wrap up you know I'd love to know I guess let me back up there's three places that I've heard people talk about um, being there's you know, work, home, and church, and church kind of being like that third place. And with the modern age, this quote, third place has dissipated. And so for yeah. you, I feel like I've seen you've been really great at fostering community again, and finding community in other ways outside of the church. Do you mind sharing how you found those avenues? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, Church fills a void that it is very hard to fill when you leave. Um, we are pack animals. Yeah. Like, we're not meant to be alone. And this culture where we work from home, which, by the way, I would never trade, but we work yeah. from home, i.e. we're basically alone for 40 hours a week. We might see our good friends and family mm. every once in a while. Yeah, we're, we're lonely people. Like, I'd say the American or maybe just modern person is incredibly yeah. lonely. Um I think you could probably count your good friends on one hand and you're lucky if you could fill the hand. Yeah. Uh, and what church does 
is it not only gives you those good friends, but it also gives the baseline understanding that you are to be there for those friends. Right. That when they struggle financially, you are to cover them. That when their mom passes away, you are to cook for them. That when they uh, need a place to stay, you are to open your home. And it's not out of obligation. It's out of love. But it gives mm -hmm. you this baseline sense of this is how you treat your neighbor. This is how you treat your friend. And it's wonderful to be in a church community asterisk when everything is going well. Yeah, yes. uh -huh. <laughs> um, Huge it is, it is wonderful. There have been times I have seen people's rent covered. I have seen people's kids babysat when they need to go, you know, somewhere for work. I have seen people's medical bills paid for. I mean, it is beautiful. And I think people are meant to be in that, not what we are in. Right. And it is very hard to recreate that outside of religion because people are not that selfless without an external command yeah. or a spirit, you know, prompting them to be so. Right. And so, yeah, I don't think you can just, you know, go to a bowling alley, join a league and be like, boom, this is my new community. Yeah. First of all, people don't think they owe you anything. You have to earn it. Right. So you're not, you're not being taken care of in the sense of this unconditional love uh, where that's what it's supposed to be. You're, you're now earning your place on the team. Right. Right. Um, and two, a lot of times it revolves around a certain age group mm. versus churches is you get your mothers and fathers, you get aunts and uncles, you get kids and nieces and nephews, not by blood, but yeah. by union in Christ. Um, and it places you in a family. Even the Bible says, I, I place the lonely in families. Um, so it's not just, oh, I have me and my friends who look exactly like me and work all the same jobs and we're in the same economic class. It exposes you ideally to all kinds of people. Like when I was in church, I was with very poor people and very wealthy people. I was with black and white and Asian, Hispanic, and, um, you know, people from all different types of backgrounds. Some people came and they didn't even speak English and they mm. would just, they would experience the atmosphere. They couldn't even understand anything, you know? And so that honestly probably can't be, um, found outside of religion. What you can do is to do your best to create a community of love outside of that, you yeah. know? And so I have gotten really into hosting. Um, I host people for dinner and I don't just host people that, you know, are perfectly compatible with me friendship wise. I host people who look lonely and I host people who look like they need friends. And I host people who maybe don't have food, who yeah. I genuinely know are struggling financially. Um, and I bring other people and um, I have formed little communities. It doesn't mimic church exactly, but you can create an atmosphere of love anywhere you go. And if you set the tone that this is how we treat people and this is a safe space and I'm not going to judge you for who you are and you can tell me anything that you're going to tell me and I'm not going to look at you differently, like you bring that atmosphere, yeah. you know, that's the hospitality, right? And so what I try my very best to do is to exist as a person that can create that community because I'm not going to judge you, even if you disagree with me. Like there are people on my dance team, for instance, who think being gay is a sin, but I'm choosing to bring my non-judgmental spirit of love. And although I disagree with how you think, and I think it's really damaging, you're always welcome in my home, you know? Wow. And so you can set the bar for that. And then two is like, yeah, I got involved in activities. Um, I started like dancing Latin dance and doing like bachata and zook. And uh, there is a dance scene 
Um, it's different than a, a church community, but you can find community in it. Um, but I guess the biggest thing I would say is when I left the church, I felt like everyone thought I was this disgusting homosexual because that's how I was viewed. You know, yeah. um, I was no longer Johanna. I was this gay person. And, uh, and that was viewed, you know, with disdain, like keep, stay away from my kids, stay away from our church, don't come to my wedding. And then I left it and I, I found that the broader world just didn't care, right. <laughs> um, at least in the DC area. Um, and so I, I realized like there, there's a lot of community and there's a lot of friendship to be had. And um, it's not like these people are just hiding the fact that they think I'm gross. Like they just genuinely don't think I'm gross. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say one, not everybody thinks like those people. There are plenty of people that think you're totally fine as is, and they would be honored to be your friends. They'd be honored to be in your community, in your little chosen family. Um, you know, like genuinely, they probably look at you and just think you're the coolest person on the planet. Like those people exist. And then two, you get to create community and you get to set that atmosphere of love and you get to say what is permittable and what's not. And so I think you can create mini church cultures that maybe they're not based around a certain doctrine, but maybe they're based around love. Yeah. Um, and I think that can happen anywhere. I love that so much. I It's such an encouragement to me because, you know, some similar background to you, I also want to find more community outside of church because uh, I don't go to church anymore. And um, it's been something that I've really been struggling with. Um, and so I'm, I'm loving how we can have this conversation and also just to understand like how I can look to you as like some, a template of how can I also find community and, and host uh, and be that love rather than, you know, kind of just and be a leader in, in a community rather than just following. Um, mm. I love it so much. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Uh, and, and, and publicly, I know it's difficult and um I feel like it's going to be really impactful, especially for the baby gays out there that are listening, that are, they're not out yet. Um, or maybe they are, and they're still struggling with, um, rectifying queerness and their religion and their faith and where that all ties in. Um, so yeah, big thank you to, to you for coming on my first interview on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so can you tell me, uh, where can we find you? Where can you find me? Yeah. <laughs> on Instagram, <laughs> Johanna McWilliams. I'm not a big social media person. Uh, if you find me on any other platform, I probably haven't updated it in like seven years. So oh, well. uh, yeah. And uh, LinkedIn, if you're a business professional. Yes. She is a boss at sales. Uh, she has the best advertisements. She, I feel like <laughs> your, your LinkedIn reach is probably bigger than your Instagram reach, if I had to guess, because I love your videos. I mean, she, look if you look her up on LinkedIn, she's like skydiving and scuba diving and all these things while promoting the brands that she works for. And uh, I always love it. I think I get a kick out of it. I'm like, this is so original and fun. Um, so yeah, check her out on Instagram and LinkedIn. I don't think corporate has to be boring. Yeah, no, totally. I love that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank hey. you so much again. Appreciate yeah. it so much. Take care. Bye.